Yeah, it's been a full weekend. Probably wasn't real wise to volunteer to, to uh, preach this weekend. We had a game Friday night. I coached boys basketball. And uh, Saturday was the Pac-7 wrestling tournament. And I got to watch two of our very own Crawfords uh, win. How many Pac-7 championships have the Crawfords been involved with? Seven? Hamricks, that's what I said. Hamricks. Now, I, I talked to Paul after I saw both of the boys wrestle yesterday, and I said, did they get their toughness from their mother? And he, he said yes. So I, and I think they got that gentle quietness from their dad. So, yeah, you people. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I really do uh, enjoy the privilege of standing before you, and to think that you've invited us here is just beyond words. Uh, pray that as we share and think through uh, one of the amazing stories in your word, that we would be reminded that you are the author of life, that you are the resurrection and the life, and that we would be challenged to uh, walk uh, like we believe that today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I would really encourage you to get out your phones or your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1236. And we're going to be talking about the story of Lazarus. I've been reading the book of John quite a bit lately, and this is a story that's jumped out and really spoken to me as I've read it through several times. And just to sort of set the stage for John chapter 11, um, in Luke 10, Jesus and the disciples are passing through Bethany, and they beat Martha, who welcomes Jesus to stay in their home. Now, we're all probably familiar with the story of Mary and Martha, where Mary sits at Jesus' feet, and Martha's upset because she's doing all the food prep and wants some help. Well, that's Mary and Martha that we're going to be mentioning today, and they had a brother named Lazarus. Uh, In John, the first part of John 11, um, it's interesting that Mary is reintroduced as the person who uh, anointed Jesus with oil and wiped his feet with her hair. That actually occurs in chapter 12, but this is going back and pointing to that. And what's amazing about the story in chapter 12 is that Lazarus is there, and he dies in chapter 11. A really pretty amazing story. So Jesus, and we're going to find out in a second, because of some of the things that he did and said in John chapter 10, is sort of laying low with his disciples uh, near the Jordan River where John the Baptist had been baptizing earlier in the ministry there. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. All right? And... It says, he whom you love is sick. So we know that Jesus has a really close relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Jesus states to the disciples that the sickness is not ending in death, but it's for the glory of God. And is a really interesting verse 5 says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So Jesus intentionally stays in this location two extra days. And he tells his disciples that we're going back to Judea, and they're a little bit reluctant because in chapter 10, the Jews were ready to stone Jesus. 
he had said some pretty outrageous things in chapter 10. One of them, he says that I and the Father are one. And then when the Jews picked up stones to stone him, Jesus says, what are you stoning for? Which of the good works? And their response was, it's not because of the works that you did, but because you being a man make yourself out to be God. Don't, don't make a mistake in reading the Bible. Jesus claimed to be God. All right, that's not, not a, a side note. All right. So anyhow, Jesus tells his disciples that we're going to uh, Lazarus' home, and their response was, well, let's go and we'll die together. They, they realized what a serious situation that was. So we're going to read in John chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. The Jews buried people the day that they died. So Jesus had, or Lazarus had been buried for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard it, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, come, or could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from that place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. So as I've been reading through this story, uh, four, four things that jumped out. Now, I'm not a pastor, for those of you that are guests, so pastors seem to have three points, so I get, I get a bonus point. We're going for four today. Um, one of the things that really struck me is verse 35 that says, Jesus wept. I know we've all heard the, you know, the quote, well, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. And, but if we really thought much about the fact that Jesus, God, wept. All right. Now, in the New American Standard, verse 33 says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then in verse 38, it says he once more was deeply moved. In verse 36, even the bystanders said, see how he loved him. So why did Jesus weep? Now, I just finished reading a book, really interesting book, about the faith of Christopher Hitchens. Has anybody ever heard of Christopher Hitchens? one of the most outspoken atheists of our day. Well, he passed away here not just a few years ago. Uh, the book was written by a friend of his who was a Christian. And this Christian man befriended Christopher Hitchens. Now, we don't know if Christopher ever came to faith in Christ because when the man finished interviewing him and spending time with him, and um, it was a few months from the time that he last talked to Christopher Till the time that Christopher died, but he knew that Christopher was having a wrestling match with God. And he, had, he and Christopher were actually doing a Bible study on the book of John. And one of the things that they talked about was this idea of Jesus weeping. And his thought was possibly Jesus was troubled in his spirit because of people's lack of belief. You know, it's interesting that this would have been the third time that Jesus rose someone from the dead. And they were still weeping over the loss of this. But I really think, based on the context of this, that this is more about the fact that we have a sympathetic high priest. All right? You know, Jesus, it's interesting to think about what it must have been like for Jesus to walk up to Nazareth or to uh, Lazarus's tomb. All right? Because in just a few short weeks, he was going to be in a tomb himself. What kind of emotions must that have arisen in him? The idea, too, that he loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus, just with an incredible compassion there. And also, if you read the commentaries, it's possible that Jesus had a view of how much he hated sin, because sin's result is death. So the first point is, I want us to think about is that we have a sympathetic high priest. That's in Hebrews 4.15. So we can go to him in our times of grief and our times of sorrow and understand that Jesus has been there. The second thing that jumps out is in verse 25 and 26 that Jesus is the source of eternal life. I'm going to read that to you in the NIV. New International Version says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Well, a couple things I've thought about this verse. First of all, that is a pretty profound claim to tell these people that he is the resurrection and the life. So how did he prove it? Well, he proved it by raising three people from the dead. And the ultimate proof was his own resurrection, proving that he was the resurrection and the life. The fact that he was able to conquer death. A phrase that jumped out at me as I was reading this in the NIV, it's in verse 26, lives by believing in me. So what does it look like to live like believing? Or in some of the other versions, what's it look like to live and to believe? As Christ followers, those things should go hand in hand. We should live like we're believing. But I think sometimes, I'm sure, in my own life, that's not the case. You know, what gives people the courage to keep on living in the midst of loss, in the midst of grief, like we have in this story? All right? Well, we live by believing in Jesus because of hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, 16 to 20, I'd like to read these verses to you. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What a powerful statement that Jesus is that author of life. Now, the uh, last phrase in that verse is a question that every one of us in this room has to answer. Do you believe this? That's a pretty profound question. Um, now, I need to interrupt this message with an announcement. All right? I was in, Brenda and I were in Savannah three weeks ago, something like that. And my son-in-law is an Army Ranger that many of you know, and our daughter Kelly's. Uh, they were living on an Army base and moved to a house. And uh, while we were there, Zach was on call, and he got a call. All right? And when she went to give him a hug, we hustled home from where we were. She went to give him a hug, and I heard her tell him, if you don't make it home... I'll see you on the other side. All right? Now that's a, what is she, 22? I think she's 22-year-old, been married for a year, and that was her and Zach's approach, that if you don't make it home, I'll see you on the other side. Now, the interruption is we have to talk, quit talking about Zach. We were reprimanded because as an Army Ranger, we're not supposed to know when he leaves. No one knows where he goes when he comes home. So we covet your prayers, but just don't ask us how he's doing. <laughs> All right? Okay. So back to that. I'll see you on the other side. You know, my children and their spouses believe that. 
Uh, we have a plaque. It's actually a, a certificate that hangs in my, it's on the bookshelf in my office that says, Be There. And it's signed by our five children and their spouses. And it's a promise that whoever gets to heaven first will be there waiting for the rest of us to arrive. You know, Joe and Tammy Reidenbach believe this. I had the incredible privilege of attending their son's, 16-year-old son's funeral at Tusla High School and was amazed at the hope in the midst of grief that Tammy and Joe were able to share with the hundreds of people that filled that gymnasium. What an amazing testimony of hope in the midst of grief. You know, I'm sure many of you believe that too. But that's a question that each one of us are going to have to answer. Do you believe this? The third point, and as I was thinking about this, I thought that this story of the resurrection of Lazarus is an amazing picture of what it's like to be saved from our sin and our trespasses. What an amazing picture. You see, the Bible makes it really clear that you and I are dead in our sin. The very first song that we sang today talked about buried beneath my shame. We're buried in sin. Jesus calls us by name to come out. Now, I was thinking about that tonight. You know, Ed Hodson, your name came up in my mind this morning. Ed Hodson, come forth. I visited Ed. Brenda and I did at the Cleveland Clinic. Ed was a dead man many times, and God said, come forth. That, that's an amazing testimony. But to think that God, the omnipotent, this is a, from, a quote from the ESV Study Bible. This was the voice of the omnipotent creator. He speaks and even Lazarus's dead body obeys. That is a powerful. You know, I was thinking a little bit about this idea of what it was like for Lazarus to come alive again. All right? Now, when Lazarus died the first time, it sounds, you know, based on his sister's answer, that they understood that there would be a resurrection in the last days. But I wonder what it was like for Lazarus to die, especially knowing that his friend Jesus could have made him well, but he wasn't there. So what made Lazarus come alive? And a verse that came to mind is in Revelation 11.11. Now, this is the story where the two witnesses in Revelation are killed, and their bodies were left exposed for a few days. It says, but after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. So a breath of life from God entered them. I'm thinking that's probably what happened to Lazarus. A breath of God entered him. You know, it says in verse 44 that Lazarus was wrapped from head to toe. All right? But he came out and he answered the call. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let them go. I was thinking about our lesson this morning in the Thrive class. Jacob is wrestling with Jesus in the dark. And it says in that passage that he saw God's face. 
Imagine Lazarus, been dead for four days, standing before his creator, Jesus, who previously was his friend, having his head unwrapped, and now looking in Jesus' face. I'll bet it looked a little different to Lazarus. I'll bet it looked more like a savior than a friend. But see, you and I, we can't take off our grave clothes either. Lazarus was unable. We can't take off our own sin. We have to allow Jesus. Number one, we have to answer the call when he calls our name. And then we have to allow Jesus to unwrap us and make us fully alive again. So what a great picture of what it means to pass from death to life when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And the last thing that I've thought about is that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead for a purpose. In the very first, in chapter 11, the first part of 11, he told the disciples that basically he allowed Lazarus to die so that God would be glorified. And later on in chapter 11, it says, so that you would believe in me, all right? Lazarus was a walking testimony of the power of God over death. And if you go to John chapter 12, the first 11 verses is the story of Mary anointing Jesus with oil, wiping his feet with her hair, and guess who was sitting there? Lazarus. And if you read the last few verses, I think it's 9, 10, and 11. Uh, Let me read it here. It says, There was a large crowd there, not only to see Jesus, but to also see Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Just a couple thoughts on that. This, I, and the thing about going away and believing in Jesus, what does that mean they were going away? Well, they were going away from their old religious ideologies, their ideas, and turning to follow Jesus. And that's what he calls you and I to do. Not just to add Jesus to our plate and make him a small section of the pie of our life. He's asking us to go away and completely commit to following him. So my question is, are you and I a walking testimony of the power of God? Are many or any believing in Jesus on account of us? You know, if we have been transformed, if we've stepped out of that grave when Jesus called us by name and allowed him to unwrap us from the sin that binds us up, we should be a walking testimony of the power of God. And people should come to him on account of us. So the four points I want you to chew on this week. Jesus is a compassionate, sympathetic Savior. Jesus is the source of eternal life. Jesus calls us out by name. And are many or any believing in Jesus on account of us. Question is, do you believe this? Let's stand and pray. Lord, I'm just uh, awed at the fact that you would call my name to come out and that you've called 
really, you've called each, each person's name that's in this building today. Lord, and I pray that if maybe we haven't heard your voice because we're surrounded with so much noise, that we would quiet ourselves before you and listen for our name being called. Lord, I pray that we would step out of that grave and with open arms ask you to remove the sin that ensnares us and wraps us up. And Lord, that we would give our lives over to you. And Holy Spirit, that you would fill us and make us fully alive, that we will never experience death as an end, but death as a beginning of an eternity with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.